Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. This is the Commonwealth Club of California. Find us on the Internet at www.commonwealthclub.org. I'm Ann Clark, a member of the Commonwealth Club and chair of the Environment and Natural Resources member-led forum. Our program tonight is How Does an Independent Analyst Survive San Francisco City Hall? And our guest speaker tonight is Harvey Rose, budget and legislative analyst, city and county of San Francisco, and founder of Harvey Rose Associates, LLC. So let's give Harvey a big welcome. Harvey? Thank you very much, Ann. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, during my career, I have concentrated my audit efforts in the conducting of management audits in the public sector area, and that's as compared to the conducting of traditional financial audits. And to best illustrate the management audit process, I thought that I would relate to you one of the first experiences that I had with such investigations. It was back in 1969. I was working for the city administrative officer in the city of Los Angeles, and we were undergoing a very severe recession at that time. As a matter of fact, uh, engineers were driving taxi cabs. The city of Los Angeles would have one custodial opening, and literally 5,000 people would apply for that one job. Well, my job at that time was to conduct the management audit of the Los Angeles Zoo, and the zoo had three gorillas. And, and I'm serious. And one, one of the gorillas... One of the gorillas died. Now, I don't know if anybody has any concept of the cost of a full-grown gorilla, but at that time, it was $14,000 plus your food. Now, I know this sounds ridiculous, but because of the high unemployment, the city of Los Angeles actually hired a guy to dress up and impersonate a gorilla. I'm serious. It It was a job. And my job in conducting this management audit was to determine if this guy that was dressed up as a gorilla was operating in the most efficient, effective manner. As, as, as a matter of fact, I, I will never forget it. I went to the zoo. It was, on a, it was on a Thursday morning. I was accompanied by the animal keeper. There were about 15 or 20 persons around the cage. And I swear, if it weren't for the animal keeper, I could not tell the difference between this guy that was dressed up as a gorilla and the two real gorillas. I mean, the guy was terrific. He was swinging like this. He's going like this. But all of a sudden, by accident, he swings over into the next cage, and there were three lions there. And the guy literally panics. He starts yelling something like, help, help. I'm looking at the animal keeper. I don't know if I should laugh or I should cry. It was funny on the one hand. It was tragic on the other hand. In any event, the guy's yelling, help, help. All of a sudden, one of the lions walks over to him, taps him on the shoulder, and says, shut up, stupid, or we'll both get fired. (laughs) Can I I quit? Can I quit while I'm ahead? It has never been more important for auditors to maintain their independence and to conduct and report the results of their work free from political interference and regardless of the popularity or politics of the audit findings. Independence and integrity are essential, even if it means taking heat sometimes, maybe even losing some clients or maybe even losing your position. I say this based on my own experience in which I have taken heat And have been fired, though I can honestly say that to my knowledge, I've never lost a client for being too independent. 
Speaking about getting fired, in 1975, I was fired by the Joint Legislative Audit Committee of the California Legislature for my position as the State of California's Auditor General because I refused to withdraw a report pertaining to a shortfall in the state surplus, a report which the chairman of the Joint Legislative Audit Committee said, quote, would embarrass the Democrats, end of quote. If my reports are factual, no one was going to force me to not issue a report, whether or not it was embarrassing to Democrats, to Republicans, or to anyone else. In my approximately two-year tenure in serving as the Auditor General of California, I was severely criticized by both former Governors Reagan and Jerry Brown, whom I'm certain you know were at the opposite ends of the political spectrum. However, my reports are not written for purposes of pleasing anyone. The purpose of my reports are to report the truth. Following my termination in Sacramento, I was rehired as budget analyst by the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, who viewed my standing up to and being fired by the state legislature as a favorable credential because the board members wanted an independent analyst to conduct management audits and budget analyses and to provide the board with ongoing evaluations of the city's fiscal situation. I stayed in that position until 1978, at which time we formed a private firm, Harvey M. Rose Associates, and contracted back with the Board of Supervisors to continue to serve as budget analysts. This contractual arrangement allowed our staff to grow by providing services to other public jurisdictions, in addition to our ongoing services for the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Harvey M. Rose Associates presently continues to serve as the contract budget analyst to the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco and also serves numerous other public sector clients throughout California and beyond. A budget analyst in serving the San Francisco Board of Supervisors or an auditor general in serving the California legislature must be independent in reporting the facts regardless of where the chips might fall. Independence free of political interference, is what I believe is essential in order to effectively discharge my responsibilities as an auditor. Whatever I have accomplished during my career, nothing, and I emphasize nothing, has been more important to me than maintaining total and complete independence in our reporting of the facts and making recommendations for purposes of realizing savings for the taxpayers, including improved efficiencies and effectiveness. Since my work is concentrated on the public sector area to conduct management audits and budget analyses of governmental agencies, it is the taxpayers who ultimately pay for the services of our firm. I believe that I have an obligation to the taxpayers to be totally honest, objective, and independent in fulfilling my assignments. Where does this principle and its importance come from? I would say it's important to me personally and always has been, but in a more formal sense, As a member of the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, I fully subscribe to the government auditing standards of the United States Comptroller General, which state, and I quote, in all matters relating to the audit work, the audit organization, and the individual auditors, whether government or public, should be free from personal and external impairments to independence, should be organizationally independent, and should maintain an independent attitude and appearance, end of quote. Independence, as I define it, does not mean disregarding the policies and procedures of your superiors. 
but it does mean being able to conduct audits free of political interference. Management audits, also known as operational performance or program results audits, may briefly be defined as an independent systematic evaluation of an agency's operations in order to determine the extent to which resources are being used in the most efficient, effective, and economical manner. Improvements resulting from a management audit can be measured in terms of increased services, higher quality services, and reduced unit costs. Hard-hitting management audits, which are conducted by auditors who at all times maintain their professional independence and objectivity, are the only real way to find out where the waste and inefficiencies exist. The discovery of waste or inefficiencies through the management audit process can be embarrassing. While our objective in conducting these audits is not to embarrass government officials, on the other hand, if the auditor is to determine where the waste is in order to save money for the taxpayers, then he or she must report the facts regardless of where the chips might fall. A frequent response to a question asked during a management audit is, quote, why should I change my procedures now? That's the way it's been done for the past 20 years, end of quote. That kind of response often indicates that an agency or organization has fallen behind the times and is no longer providing services in the most efficient and economical way possible. But perhaps the most significant question to ask to the officials directly involved in the government program is, if they were running the agency as their own business, would they maintain the existing staff? And would their procedures be the same? It's true that government is not in the business of making a profit, but who can argue against government being run in the least costly manner possible? The most important thing in investigating government agencies, in order for us to be able to get the facts and to do the job and to make recommendations which are feasible and to affect the economies, is for the policymakers and the elected officials to permit us the independence to operate in an open atmosphere with no strings. I am proud of our firm's record of independence and auditing. This record is based on my own personal standards of independence and objectivity, and there are times when independent and objective auditors attract a lot of heat. In some instances, our firm and our reports have been attacked and criticized, but the facts contained in our reports have not been refuted. Our management audit findings and recommendations are specific and save money. I want to give you one example of one of the audit findings disclosed in our management audit reports submitted to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors pertaining to city and county of San Francisco departments and agencies. I believe that this audit finding illustrates why our recommendations sometimes do not win popularity contests with the audited departments and why independence and auditing is so critical. In our first management audit of San Francisco's Public Utilities Commission, we disclosed that the Public Utilities Commission entered into 10-year long-term fixed-rate contracts with the Modesto and Turlock Irrigation Districts to sell the city's Hetch Hetchies hydroelectric power to these districts. We found that there were no provisions in these contracts to increase the power rates to the prevailing market rate during the entire 10-year contract period. As a result, the city and county of San Francisco lost over $27 million of additional revenues, and ironically, the Modesto and Turlock Irrigation Districts, to whom this power had been sold, turned around and resold this power at a profit 
of $10.5 million annually. In fact, the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission was charging power rates to its own city and county of San Francisco departments housed in City Hall, which were higher than the rates that were being charged to the Modesto and Turlock Irrigation Districts. The initial response to the press about our report from the then president of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission was that our report was, quote, irresponsible and unprofessional, end of quote. And he stated, quote, I think what we're dealing with is somebody's term project paper, end of quote. The Public Utilities Commission official in charge of negotiating these contracts referred to our report as, quote, the greatest job of Monday morning quarterbacking I have ever seen, end of quote. The Public Utilities Commission general manager, together with the official in charge of negotiating the contracts, stated that such long-term fixed-rate contracts with no provisions to increase rates were, quote, standard, end of quote, throughout the industry. However, we found correspondence documenting that the Public Utilities Commission officials in charge of negotiating the contracts had themselves requested that a rate adjustment provision be incorporated into the contracts, yet for some unknown reason, that provision was ultimately dropped from the final negotiated contracts. Now, we request written responses from the audited agencies to all of our management audit reports. The final written response of the Public Utilities Commission was, quote, Obviously, the fact that the rate adjustment provision was deleted from the final contract was certainly not due to a lack of trying on the part of the Public Utilities Commission. This should end the analyst's unjust accusation on this point once and for all, end of quote. We do not permit agencies to talk out of both sides of their mouths. You can't respond initially to the press that it was, quote, standard, end of quote, not to have rate adjustment provisions in the contracts, and then subsequently respond in writing to our audit report by stating that, quote, we tried, end of quote, to have such a rate adjustment provision in the contracts. Now, you might wonder what real benefits result from such a hard-hitting audit finding if the auditor and the auditee wind up engaged in a heated public controversy. The benefit in this case was quite direct. Contracts of this nature had never before been subject to the review and approval of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Based on our finding and related recommendation, the Board of Supervisors submitted a charter amendment to the San Francisco electorate requiring that all contracts of this nature in the future must be approved by the Board of Supervisors. The charter amendment was overwhelmingly approved by the San Francisco electorate. While some of our audit reports are quietly accepted by our clients, some receive considerable publicity. While we do not hold press conferences in an attempt to gain publicity for our audit reports, once the Board of Supervisors releases our reports, they become public documents. And in fact, the press has given some of our reports a lot of publicity, apparently because the press recognizes our independence and objectivity. Let me state for the record that many of our firm's management audits and other engagements go fairly smoothly, for which we receive quiet thanks and praise, even from auditees in some instances. One of Webster's definitions of recommendation is anything that makes a favorable or pleasing impression. I am certain that many of the recommendations that we have made have not resulted in a favorable or pleasing impression to the audited agencies. I believe that an auditor can never forget 
that the objective of the audit is to report the facts in an independent manner in order to improve the operations of the agencies which we are auditing. Our objective is not to win popularity contests. As I view it, I am responsible for reporting the facts, even at the expense of making enemies, and even at the expense of reporting facts which some persons might not want to hear. In a sense, I, as a government agent and the instrument of measuring cost efficiencies, auditors being highly trained, have perfected skills not only useful but vital to all of us if the human race is to avoid being buried by burgeoning bureaucracies and strangled by reels of red tape. But those skills, as finely honed as they are, are useless unless we are permitted to operate in an atmosphere of independence unchecked by political interests. It is imperative that auditors demand that independence since intellectual truth and factual honesty must be the basis upon which our elected public officials make the vital decisions which affect us daily. As I previously indicated as the 1974 State Auditor General, 1974, as a matter of fact, I am so old, I knew Baskin-Robbins when they only had two flavors. But, <laughs> but, but, but seriously, as the 1974 State Auditor General, I was frequently accused by some Republicans of being under the control of the Democratic legislature. As the 1975 Auditor General, I was accused by some Democrats of issuing reports on behalf of Republicans. In my capacity as Auditor General, I was further accused of being naive in my relations with the California legislature. If attempting to disregard the politics and reporting the facts, regardless of where the chips might fall, is being naive, then I plead guilty. When I was fired as the state's Auditor General, the California legislature awarded me a settlement agreement equal to back pay, which was owed to me pursuant to my contract with the state. The then chairman of the Joint Legislative Audit Committee, a former state senator who fired me, stated that the settlement was a, quote, nuisance settlement, end of quote. Webster's defines nuisance as, quote, a condition causing annoyance to the general public, end of quote. If the senator meant that my reporting the facts and my conveying the importance of independence to interested groups such as yourselves and my continuing to conduct management audits to achieve savings for taxpayers, if he meant that these things represent a nuisance, then let me assure you it is my intention to continue to be a nuisance. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes my prepared comments. Fred Brousseau and Severin Campbell, come on up, guys the real brains behind the Harvey Rose Associates. Uh, and I would now be happy to respond to any questions. And incidentally, if, you need, if anyone in this room is interested in having a zoo audit, don't hesitate to contact me. <laughs> <laughs> Harvey, you were going to introduce the two people you mentioned? Fred Brousseau and Severin Campbell, who lead our firm. And as I say, they're the, they're the brains behind everything that comes out of the firm. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Learn about our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for any of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at commonwealthclub.org. Now back to our program.
now we have come to that famous part of our program, and that's our program cards and questions. For our first question, what is your view on Muni? I just, I just came here on Muni, by the way. <laughs> is it well run or inefficient? Well, l- let me start by saying that, and I know that Fred and Seven want to chime in. This is one of the most difficult departments to operate. And uh, it, it takes a lot of federal and state dollars uh, to operate it. Uh, there can be, as may, I'm sure many of you know, that the uh, former the, the uh, executive director of Muni was recently fired. Uh, one person really cannot run that railroad. It is very difficult. Fred and Seven, you want to chime in on this? So uh, I'll just add we're working on the audit right now of Muni. So we'll be coming out in the next two months or so. So we'll have some of the answers or some of the details on that question. But I just want to echo what Harvey said. It's a very complex operation. And, um, you know, everything the agency does, it's more than running the buses. They uh, try to maintain the streets and um, make sidewalks safe for pedestrians. And <clears throat> they have a lot of people to answer to. So um, I, don't, I don't envy them for, uh, you know, trying to run that agency and run it efficiently. Is it run efficiently? Probably no would be the answer, but um, I think it's tempered with the um, comments I just made that it's pretty complicated. And what we've certainly seen is that a lot of – there's a lot of good ideas at Muni, a lot of ways of improving transit, and um, they don't always get through for political reasons. So um, there's that that interferes with it, too. So this is Fred Brousseau, who just responded. How do you distinguish your work from that of Ben Rosenfeld's office? Ben Rosenfeld is the the city's controller. He's appointed by the mayor and confirmed by the Board of Supervisors. That is the position of controller uh, for a 10-year appointment. I believe it's subject to a a, a 10-year appointment subsequent to the 10 years. And Ben is a highly regarded, very respected uh, official. I think the distinction is that we are totally independent in reporting to the Board of Supervisors. Uh, The controller reports, as I said, both to the mayor and the Board of Supervisors. And I would just emphasize, I believe that we are totally independent. And that is not to say that Ben is not independent, but that's where that would be my response. Our next question is, what uh, auditing standards do you adopt? And is objectivity Stanford in your profession? Seven, why don't you take that? Hi, I'm Severin Campbell. So if you're talking specifically about our audit work, which is one piece of what we do, we actually follow the U.S. Government Accountability Office standards in, yes, independence, objectivity, evidence-based findings and recommendations are really very core uh, to what we do. Um, how does your maintain? How does your firm maintain independence as defined under generally accepted auditing standards given how large your work for the city is relative to the firm as a whole? So... I think that part of like how we characterize ourselves is our independence, and it's a value to a lot of our clients. Um, 
certainly in San Francisco where we report to 11 members of the board, and I assure you that each and every one of those 11 members has a different point of view on any given topic that we're looking at. So how we really maintain our sort of continuity is by the fact that we are independent. And so maybe we'll make somebody mad on one topic, but they'll really love us on another topic. And it just kind of continues that way. Uh, we do have a lot of external clients. A lot of our clients are themselves um, oversight roles, either grand juries or independent auditor controllers themselves who we're subcontracting with. And I think it makes a real difference because we are there to support them in their role of oversight. Just to emphasize, independence is the key. Uh, our next question from our audience, how can a city and county with a $12.1 billion budget be so dirty, crime-ridden, uh, with poor infrastructure and a poor educational system? And I think this person is talking about San Francisco. Well, <laughs> we don't, you know, put a value judgment on in our role as to uh, that the streets are dirty per se uh, or that the infrastructure is bad. What we point out is that, yes, it is true that there's a $12.1 billion budget, but there are so many varied needs that take portions of that money. Uh, and uh, could San Francisco improve? Absolutely. There's no question about it. But any city and county can improve. Um, your work and analysis on the America's Cup was brilliant. How did you estimate the cost? And I guess maybe we want to know, did you win any money on this one? <laughs> well, actually, the author of this report, Fred Rousseau, is right here. So, uh, and, and, and by the way, I, it was I, brilliant. I, have I to just agree. want to say, I, I, I don't... You know, I mentioned that we're not here to win popularity contests. I don't think that uh, uh, Larry Ellison <laughs> feels that we're a very popular right. group. That's right. Um, the estimates, the question was how did we estimate the cost? And it was working with uh, the city staff, who mostly at the port, who are going to be overseeing the improvements to be done as well as digging through the contracts and the amendments to the contracts that the America's Cup host committee was trying to enter into with the city. And it was a lot of work, frankly, but, um, but the information was there. And, you know, as we uh, persisted and, and uh, worked with the staff, we got to those numbers. Not everyone agreed with them, by the way. Let me just comment as, as in a, it's sort of related as an aside to demonstrate how important, again, I said that independence is. I will never forget when we did an analysis of the proposal to make Candlestick Park into a mall, to, to, to rebuild Candlestick Park, and it was going to be a stadium and a mall. And the mayor at that time stated that the sales tax from that mall would generate sufficient revenue so that there would be no additional cost of the general fund. And we analyzed that, and we stated that that is not so. In fact, it was going to cost about $4.5 million annually. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, if they're going to get a sales tax at this mall, 
What about all of the other malls throughout San Francisco, like uh, Stonestown, for example? There would be some diminution of sales taxes from one place, and we'd get additional sales tax. Anyway, the bottom line was it was about a $4.5 million hit to the general fund. The Board of Supervisors released our report, and the very next morning, the mayor of San Francisco said that I was going to be fired because we had issued this report. And that demonstrates the independence of the Budget Analyst Office to the Board of Supervisors. There seems to be a lot of inefficiencies with the street repairs, roads being torn up and repaired, then torn up again. Can you comment? There are numerous agencies that um, dig up the streets, and they often do it uh, one after the other. So you'll see a street getting torn up one year, and then you know months later it happens again. There are policies in place that are supposed to coordinate all those efforts, and um, that has not always been true. So I'm sure if you've lived here for a while, you've seen uh, what happens when they don't coordinate their efforts. But uh, there is an attempt to do that. The infrastructure is old. It needs to be repaired. There are a lot of big projects. Vanist Avenue has been torn up now for I don't know how long. Um, but they get delayed also. That's the other thing. So that project was put on hold for um, months, if not a year. So um, I think it's a factor of um, you know being in an old city where uh, infrastructure needs to be improved. And the need for better coordination between all the agencies that uh, are responsible for that. Well, I have a couple of questions, Harvey. And the first question I have is, what do you look back upon your wonderful career and do you treasure the most? And what was hardest? Well, I, I think in general, what I treasure the most is, is the fact that the Board of Supervisors permitted a function to operate, the, namely the budget analyst office, in an independent manner. In many instances, as a matter of fact, we have a former member of the Board of Supervisors with us tonight, Jack Molinari, former president of the board and chairman of the finance committee. And Jack can validate that in many instances, board members were upset with me, but I think each and every one of them knew that we were telling the truth. We were reporting the facts. And it was for that reason, in fact, the title that you have, Ann, is How Does an Independent Analyst Survive? (coughs) We survived because the Board of Supervisors permitted us to survive. And perhaps we survived because we stressed that we must be independent. And it got to the point where I think the board members, even to this day, recognize how important it is for the Budget Analyst Office to remain independent. Jack, would you like to make a comment? We would like to hear from you. Well, for 17 years, I served on the Board of Supervisors, and uh, Harvey was there for 15 of those years. He was on when I came on in 1972, and then he decided he had uh, higher aspirations and went off to the state. And when that didn't work out, we were able to have him back, and he's been back ever since. What he said tonight, ladies and gentlemen, is absolutely true. Uh, independence is important. The board, as much as fractionalized as it, it seems from time to time, uh, has a, only one 
opinion of Harvey, and that is that he is independent. Yes, we fought a lot of times. Harvey and I, <laughs> I would say, why not? He said, well, you could do that if you wanted to, <laughs> but it wouldn't be a good idea. So I can only validate everything he has said tonight, and uh, he's been a great public servant. The city has been very, very lucky to have him with us. What was the Thank budget? You, what was the budget of the city oh, in nineteen seventy two? Half a million dollars. As a matter of fact, five hundred million dollars. It was about uh, eight or nine hundred million dollars. Yeah. yeah, and today it's twelve point one, twelve point one billion, billion. Not so from nine hundred million to twelve point one billion. But then again, the board of supervisors was only making eight hundred dollars a month in nineteen seventy. That, that's that's true. <laughs> Thank you, Ernie. Thank you, Jack. Uh, do you find uh, that public bodies are more or less receptive now to independent information? It depends upon who the client is. A board of supervisors, an elected council, city council, absolutely. That's why they hire us, because of our reputation of, of independence. Uh, within the bureaucracy itself, sometimes that is not true. Sometimes there is huge resistance but whether there's resistance or not, we're going to get the facts. Uh, we have one more question, and it's from George Wooding. Ann is uh, putting me on the spot. Um, I write a lot of um, articles, and one of the first things I always do is check your analysis because it um, this is more a comment. It is a, a, a true beacon of what the reality is versus the fiction that uh, city government would like the citizens to believe. I asked the uh, question regarding um, the America's Cup, and after I read your analysis I was so amazed what the city was trying to push to the citizens. I couldn't believe it. And time and time again, um, you know, a good friend of mine is yours, Quinn Cobb, and I have talked about you and what a great job you do for San Francisco. So I want to thank you. Thank you very much. So, Harvey, we're not going to let you go. And so we're going to have two other questions. The first one is, what was the most difficult time for you in all of your career? And and how did you, uh, what, what, what happened and how did you handle that and how did it go? Well, clearly the most difficult time is when I was fired by the state legislature, specifically the Joint Legislative Audit Committee, as Auditor General. And... Uh, that main, that episode actually resulted in coverage throughout the state in, in the press, including the front page of the Los Angeles Times. And after that happened, and the Board of Supervisors then again asked me to come back and serve as the budget analyst of the Board of Supervisors once again. But I'll never forget that I was asked at that time to speak throughout the state 
on independence and auditing. And I accepted those speaking engagements with one stipulation. I said I would only uh, I accept if you invited the chairman of the Joint Legislative Audit Committee at that time to appear with me uh, so that he could have his say and I could have my say on what happened. And so they, a letter went out many times to the for, former chairman of the Joint Legislative Audit Committee, and lo and behold, he never showed up. <laughs> so, Harvey, now, what about the most important times in your life and the things you really cherish and you remember now and you look back on? Well, the most important thing in my life now are uh, family uh, my five grandchildren, who are the only ones that like me, <laughs> and, and all the friends that are here with me. Uh, we like to do some traveling, which we do together with some friends, and we're hanging in there. Yeah, that sounds a good way to do it, right? Absolutely. So what's your, your next journey, do you think? Uh, are you talking about a specific trip or my my next journey? I mean, a, 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 Ann, I'm 83 years old. I don't know if I have that many journeys left. We all have journeys left. <laughs> Did you think of one? Or where would you like to go from here? Or would you just like to look back at, and treasure? At, at, at this point, I'm still, although I'm not working full time, I still attend the Board of Supervisors meetings, and I enjoy doing that, and I'm going to continue to do that while I can. Well, that's, that sounds good. That sounds really, really good for all of us because you will be there, and you'll be there representing for us, really, and listening to what's going on in City College and all of the ups and downs and arounds that we get. So that really sounds really wonderful. Um, can we get a comment from someone who you know very well? Um, I'm very proud to be um, the budget analyst's wife, and uh, as you know, he's he's done a great job, and I'm happy that he has done so. And thanks all of you for um, showing up. <laughs> Well, this has been a wonderful evening and a wonderful talk, and I think all of us have known or met Harvey and talked with him and gotten guidance for him that has helped us. Um, I don't think there's a person in this room that hasn't had a connection more than one connection, some of us more than more than one. And it's really a pleasure for us to honor him and to tell him he better stay around because there's some people in City Hall that we need to watch really carefully. <laughs> That's uh, <clears throat> just a personal uh, comment. <laughs> so thank you, Harvey. Thank, thank you, you, very you much, for yeah. all your years. Thanks. And thank you for all the work. And thank you for being a watchdog. Um, you know, in many, many cities, they don't have the same kind of independence that we have here. And it didn't really stay here only because you kept it going and you kept it alive and coming away so that we can interact about what's happening in the city and city hall and across the city and some of our city institutions. 
So this has been a journey, and we want to thank you, all of us here in this room. Thank you for your journey and taking care of us. Thank you very much. So let's have another big hand of applause. Uh, This is Ann Clark, Chair of the Environment and Natural Resources Member-Led Forum. Our thanks and applause to you, our wonderful audience here, and our audiences on the radio, Internet, podcasts. Thank you for listening to us and joining us. The meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California is adjourned.